0: a couple of uh, just housekeeping things you probably've noticed um, our projectors like to go out you know at random times <laughs> so thanks for your patience with that we are in the process of getting those changed they're just they're they're quite old actually as old as the building um and so we're in the process of getting those changed but you know as everything is on back order so it may take a while so those of you over here that have to kind of strain your neck or more you over here that have to strain your neck just uh be patient with us we are working on that so just want to keep you up to date if you're curious and If you're not curious now, you know. Um, The other thing, uh, housekeeping-wise, when I see you next week, there's going to be a large gash in my neck, so I'm just going to go ahead and deal with it now, so you don't have to ask me then. Uh, I'm having a spot removed. Uh, Many of you have already been through this process a good bit, uh, basal cell carcinoma, so I'm having that removed on Tuesday. Uh, I'm not telling you that for sympathy. We're good. We're okay. Uh, Many of you have endured way more than I will, but when you see me, I didn't get in a knife fight, okay, next week, Uh, just... Letting you know, Tuesday, I'll be going through that process, so when I see you next week, that, that's what's going on. But we are, we are encouraged. We are not. Uh, it's just going to be a nuisance uh, the rest of my life, I believe. Um, and what I'm thankful for, even as I sat with that doctor uh, two weeks ago, many of you came to my mind. Priscilla, Jack you you guys came to my mind and the lord used you to encourage me because many of you have dealt with this and as i share with others many say yeah i have one removed 20 years ago well good wonderful uh but i just wanted you to be aware so that when you know you see me that's that's what's going on um and that way we uh don't have to answer a thousand one questions along the way so but i would appreciate your prayers on tuesday um um as well and yeah so just wanted to let you know that um, along the way. So thank you, though, church, for modeling for me faithfulness, uh, even as we get things we don't necessarily care about. Um, with that said, 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to wrap up chapter 4 today. And then next week, we're actually going to finish 1 Peter. We're going to look at chapter 5 uh, next week, and then we're going to dive into a season of Advent, which we are really excited about. But for this morning, uh, chapter 4, verses 12 through 19 is where we will be as you turn there i want to make um perhaps an obvious statement understanding that life is not always easy it's kind of helpful to navigate life, isn't it? Um, it's kind of good to know on the front end, hey, it's, it's going to be hard. Uh, I recently watched a retired Navy SEAL who gave a commencement speech at a, uh, for graduating college seniors. And what was fascinating is in that speech, uh, he shared what he had learned from his SEAL training. And here's basically what he said to these graduating seniors. He said, hey, life is going to be difficult. Difficulty will come, and you will never get everything right. It's like, eh, that's helpful. (laughs) He goes on to say the entire training is designed to just break you and to help you depend on others and to make you okay with difficulty. I feel like this morning that our tets might have that effect on us. It might have a way of looking us square in the eye and saying, hey, be prepared. Hey, understand what it means to truly follow Christ. Don't you love that the Bible doesn't sell us a bill of goods? It's actually quite upfront about what it means to follow Christ. This morning, we perhaps will be stretched and also encouraged. Our text this morning will expose a few things about suffering and perhaps change our view of it. We have been talking about suffering for quite a while now and this morning as we come to the crescendo, if you will, of the book, I pray that our hearts are ready, our hearts are ready to follow Christ at all costs. Would you read with me First Peter chapter 4 starting in verse 12? Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let not, let none of your suffering as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be? The outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God. And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Verse 19, thesis statement of the whole book. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This section of Scripture absolutely helps us develop a better view of suffering. But even before I get into the view of suffering, you can't help but pause for a moment on the word beloved. We were just talking about this in our Sunday study, just how much is captured in this address to a people who are suffering. Hey, beloved, beloved almost in just a small little way to remind them that they are indeed a cherished people by Peter and, more importantly, by God himself. Chapter 1, they're called elect exiles, which makes you kind of feel a little unsettled. And here, at the end, as the book winds down, they are called beloved. Maybe for some of you this morning, you just need to hear In Christ, we are called the beloved, those whom the heavenly Father cares for deeply. Here's how Peter addresses suffering Christians. In a small way to evoke in them, oh yeah, oh yeah, we indeed are cherished by God. They must not forget that they are indeed loved, and they are loved more than they could ever imagine. With that as the backdrop, so what should be their view of suffering? Wonderful, Peter. Yes, we are beloved, and the Lord loves us, but things aren't great around us. Yes, that's the relationship that I'm in and will never change, but circumstances surely are difficult so so what is their view of suffering and it turns out the first thing is don't be surprised at it this is the first of six imperatives in these few Verses. Each of these imperatives are or they're a call to action, but all of them kind of unpack for us a comprehensive view of suffering, of difficult, particularly that they are enduring out of the gate. Peter brings their attention to this: suffering is not strange. Nothing strange here. What they are going through is in no way odd. It is not out of the ordinary. After all, Christ, who has been put before them over and over again, Christ himself, he went through it before them, before us. He suffered greatly as well. Why are you surprised? Matter of fact, Peter has worked really hard this entire letter alluding to a tremendous amount of Old Testament text. And what he has been doing in doing that is putting before them how God's people for a very long time have suffered often. Don't be surprised. Christian, follower of Christ, Deal with this. Hear this. Be okay with this. Your commitment to Christ inevitably means a lack of commitment to certain cultural norms that just might put a label on you as weird. Well, by all means, be weird. Christian, hear this plainly this morning. For us to follow Christ, and that brings a little bit of difficulty, that is not strange. That is not odd. You are not the first one in human history as a follower of Christ to endure suffering. Does that make it any easier? Well, no. But it certainly gives us a good perspective, doesn't it? That you are not... Alone. And I love even as I read this text, and every time I get to um, something strange in my brain, here's what I hear something strange were happening to you. Just almost pulling out of us of like (laughs) Yeah, you're right. Now that I think about it. Christian, deal with this. Hear this. A commitment to following Christ is not a haphazard, loosey goosey thing. We cannot be so a bill of goods of what it means to truly follow Christ. It will mean a lack of following something else. A lack of following the winds of the day, if you will. The ups and downs of culture and at times make you a bit odd. And quite frankly, aren't we already odd? You can Yes, you are, if you don't know. <laughs> but Christian, it's almost as if Peter is saying, like, this isn't strange. This is what God's people have dealt with at, at all times. And for you and I, it's probably not hard for us to understand why Peter would say, don't be surprised, right? It's been normative in human history, particularly the history of God's people, right? It's been normative for them to endure, unfortunately, unwarranted suffering, to endure difficulty because of their commitment to God and to Christ. That has been the norm through all of Scripture. So it's, not, it's probably not even surprising for you to hear him say, Don't be surprised. Because if we look at the life of Christ, we look at God's people, what we see consistently is suffering. But there is something surprising here. And it's what Peter emphasizes. Do you catch how he describes the suffering? And in the way that he describes it, actually teaches you and I a little bit more about suffering. and also gives us a little bit of insight of why we should not be surprised. And not only surprised, we're going to see in a few moments rejoice, which is really odd, suffering rejoice. Okay, how does that work? We'll see in a moment. For the first time, this suffering that the people Peter is writing to is described as a fiery trial or sometimes a fiery ordeal. It's like my Tennessee roots come out, my fiery ordeal. This is the first time it's been described. And this is what is coming upon them. And this description, as you probably read it and hear it and feel something, yes, you're meant to feel that. This description, it highlights just how painful the experience is. I don't know if you've ever had a fiery trial or stepped into a fire But it's a a tad bit painful. So the situation, once again, we are brought into just how difficult and painful it is. But don't be surprised. But what it also alludes to that's really interesting is it alludes to a situation, a fiery trial or a fiery ordeal. This word oftentimes is used to describe a refining process. And this is exactly what First uh, Peter uh, chapter 1 and verse 7 has already said very plainly. Here's what it says in verse 7 and chapter 1. That when suffering comes, here's where it comes. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, comma, side note, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire. Here in uh, a bit of like bookends, if you will. This point up in chapter 1, and now he revisits it by giving us this fiery trial. Yes, it is painful. Let's not diminish the difficulty they are going through. But let us see what this ordeal and what this trial can do. This is exactly what is being said here. But it's kind of with the point to say, oh, by the way, don't be surprised. Why? Because, well, there's a testing happening. These fiery trials, they actually do a work. They, as the text makes plain, they test. What does test mean? A test is an attempt to learn the nature or character of your faith. Isn't it great to just look up words? That's a definition, literally. Underneath this word, a test, this word is an attempt to something is done to learn something, to learn the nature of something, and to learn the character of your faith. Brothers and sisters, here's what Peter wants us to know. It is not strange to have your faith tested. That is not strange. And come to find out it's necessary by the imagery, by chapter 1 and what it has said. It is actually good for us. It is needed for you and I To have our faith tested. For the Christian, that is not strange. For the Christian, that is part of your walk. It's not strange to have your faith tested. It's necessary. It's needed. So rejoice. (laughs) A lot easier said than done, huh? Because you're walking through it. It feels a little hot in here. But Peter then shifts out of, don't be strange, because of the work that is happening, and and, and Christians for centuries have always had their faith tested, that is a, a part of it, that is what is necessary. So in light of that, just rejoice. This is the next thing we get when it comes to understanding suffering, that it's a moment to experience joy. This is our next imperative. Rejoice. Now you and I just based upon the work of verse 12 that we just unpacked, well we could rejoice in that easily. Couldn't we say, "Yeah, okay, well that's that's beneficial." But come to find out there's more. There's more for you and I to rejoice even as we suffer. You can rejoice because you are walking in the footsteps of Jesus. You are identifying with your savior in a way that nothing else can do. So we walk in the footsteps of Jesus. We walk the path of Christ, and there's something rejoicing in that. And we also learn that this momentary suffering will bring great joy at the return of Christ. It never fails when we sing it as well. You know, I'm, I'm a big hand raiser, I get pretty excited. But the hands go up most consistently when, oh, when he comes. When the clouds be rolled back. Woohoo! Why? Because we know that in that is great joy, brothers and sisters. How often has Peter taken our eyes off the momentary suffering, put them up and say, There's more to come? Rejoice in your suffering because this momentary suffering will give way to great joy with the return of Christ. These are two really solid reasons. <laughs> To see suffering as a moment to rejoice. We are indeed walking the path of Christ. And we will be found faithful at his return. That's what Peter seems to be getting at. Hey, you're walking the path of Christ. And when he returns, because of the suffering and the willingness to accept all of that, you will be found faithful. Oh, rejoice. Brothers and sisters, when the cloud be rolled back, whoo, that's good news. But yet, there's even more. There's more. The text goes on to say, if you're insulted, and this word literally has with it statements, phrases, slurs, words, insults, making fun, poking at. It says, if you were insulted because of the name of Christ, so we're we're getting suffering more, if you suffer for him, the scripture says, you're blessed. Huh. How does that feel with some of the belief in various supposed Christian thinking? Blessed to be associated with suffering? Well, that's different than it is often presented to us. But here, we are learning that something about our suffering should scream, Oh, I am blessed! I mean, did you, at your last moment of suffering, go, I am so blessed? Well, I didn't. Because it's hard for us to think in these terms. It's it's difficult for us to say, oh, suffering now indicates that I'm also blessed. How can that be? Because maybe your perception of blessed is a bit off. If blessed is only associated with material possessions, which, by the way, that's wrong, way, way wrong. We'll talk after if you want to talk to me. Way, 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 way wrong. But that's often what is presented as a people who are blessed by what they have stuff. But here Peter, an apostle, is now saying when everything is taken away from you and you suffer to a great degree, oh, now you're blessed. (sighs) Well, the text makes it plain. Why are we blessed? Because this is evident of something, isn't it? What is it evident of? That the Spirit of God rests upon us. This is actually kind of a, not kind of, it is a staggering claim. Oh, he's out. Well, oh, he's resting. <laughs> this is a staggering claim to have God's Spirit rest upon us. I mean, having God's Spirit rest upon you, isn't that not what God's people have longed for through the entire Old Testament? Matter of fact, if you track the word blessed, In the Old Testament, you know what it meant? God was with them. That's when they were blessed. God's presence and spirit was with them. And to be cursed meant that you were outside of God's presence. That's how they understood blessedness. It wasn't about their outward circumstances. It was about that the God, their heavenly father was with them. And to be cursed was to be outside of that. So to suffer as painful and fiery as it is, it does not remove us from the presence of God. Praise the Lord for that. There's also an allusion here back to Isaiah 11 too that speaks of the Messiah that the Spirit of God will rest upon. We're now being put into a similar situation that as we suffer as god's people god's spirit is upon us this is this is staggering but this is what your suffering means and the next thing that peter does as he winds down this letter he wants to just for a few moments cuz this is all wonderful right like don't be surprised rejoice woohoo and then all of a sudden he just kind of turns the corner like a good preacher real pastorally for a moment, and he kind of clarifies as he's winding down this letter, because he wants to make sure of something. He wants to make sure that they understand, you and I understand, why they are suffering. He wants to make sure that their suffering is not due to their sin. This isn't the first time we've seen this. It's actually been highlighted in chapter 2, highlighted in chapter 3. Peter says over and over again, hey, this is all exciting, but I just want to be clear. One more time, don't suffer for your own wrongs. Almost saying there's enough suffering to go around. No need to create your own. And the list is kind of obvious. Like even as we read it, we kind of chuckle a little bit. Murderers, yeah, okay, I'm good there. I, that's that's good. i am I'm, I'm done pretty well there. Haven't stole anything lately. Don't think I'm an evildoer. The the list is kind of obvious, clear wrongs. At least the first three are. Murderer, thief, evildoer. If we had a show of hands, we'd all probably, yeah, I'm good there. And now it's not that Peter believes that Christians are doing these things, right? He's not believing that they're doing these things and that's why they're suffering. The point he's trying to make is, Following, or suffering when you're following Christ is a powerful thing. But suffering on your own, because of your own sins, he's already said is of little credit. Little credit for you, little credit for the community. That's kind of what he's getting at. Suffering for Christ and remaining faithful, that's a powerful moment for the watching world. Now, though they're not engaging in those things, the last thing mentioned is, Kind of odd, right? It kind of feels out of place. You talk about a list from great to least. This is like way least. Murderer and meddler? (laughs) It's like, hmm, busybody, if you will. It seems kind of out of place. Don't suffer for meddling. Now, if you've never heard that term, the world I grew up in, we said meddling all the time. Busybody, maybe you've heard it that way. Don't be poking around, stirring up trouble where you should not. Now, what's interesting about this last one, plus the encouragement Peter has already given to them to not be unruly but to defer, this actually might hint at a tendency for them and, dare I say, a tendency for us to stir up trouble because of their actions, rather than just simply remaining committed to Christ. To maybe arrogantly make a stink about the behaviors of a cultural, drawing undue attention. Peter is almost saying, suffering will come. You don't need to create it for yourself. If you don't believe me, here's what a couple of commentaries have noted. Perhaps Peter singles out meddling because his readers may not have recognized that at least some of their suffering could be coming from meddling in a way that did not seem obviously wrong or inappropriate to them. Some commentators describe that this meddling may have involved uh, in the social context may have been this, censoring the behavior of outsiders on the basis of claims of a higher morality. I know more. You stop. Interfering with family relationships causing more discord, tactless attempts at sharing the gospel. The prohibition against meddling, it kind of accords well in how Peter's teaching throughout about social roles and boundaries. But here's what Peter wants to do. He wants his readers to avoid attracting hostility, if at all possible, without renouncing their faith in Christ. That's the point he's getting at. So this odd list that lands on meddling feels kind of weird, but it seems like he's being really pastoral and he's being instructive to them. Follow Christ. Another commentator said meddling is set out from these other three because it does not refer to something potentially criminal, but to an attitude. Or a pattern of behavior likely to bring reproach on Christians as a group. I like the way that puts that. A pattern of behavior or attitude. that's not necessarily criminal, but it has a way of bringing some reproach upon the Christian community. It seems like that's what Peter is doing with this word meddling. Just, Just be clear on what you're doing. Are you getting undue attention? He's warning the Christians, as the commentator goes on the same, to recognize their limits of their community, not try to legislate morality for others. Peter's conviction, after all, is that Christ alone is the real shepherd and overseer of the souls. See, Peter is not necessarily saying they are doing this, but he is indicating it could be a, a tendency, and he wants them, and he wants to keep them from undue suffering caused by a wrong attitude, a wrong arrogance, a wrong pride of being unruly. He wants to lift themselves, or he wants to lift the gospel above themselves. They are actually going to suffer anyway. Let it not be because of loose mouth or an arrogant attitude. No need to go looking for suffering and causing it. It will come. So just stay faithful to God. And why do we camp there? Because this is just an odd list. If you might have picked up on it to say, well, those first three are obvious, but what does this last one mean? This must be what Peter is doing. He's encouraging them. Hey, do not let your suffering be because of you. Let it be, be because of gospel faithfulness. And then, now that All of that is in place. Peter goes on to say, don't be ashamed. Do not be ashamed, but glorify God. The insults, the ostracizing, the demotion at work because you refuse to participate in harmful thinking. The lack of popularity is not shameful, but a reminder that God is with you and that today's suffering will give way to tomorrow's joys. Peter then moves to the undergirding of all that he has said with the five imperatives so far. Don't be surprised, rejoice, don't suffer because of your own sin, don't be ashamed, and glorify God. He then moves, after he uses all of those to unpack what our view of suffering is, all those imperatives, all of that instruction... It's kind of undergirded with the statement in 17 that's restated in 18. It's a bit confusing, isn't it? Let me read it again. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Verse 18, and if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? He makes a comparison here, doesn't he? Between those that are in the house of God, he renames them the righteous ones, and what we are to hear, Christians. He makes a comparison against those and against who else? Those that are disobedient to the gospel, rephrases and says ungodly ones and sinners. We could say non-Christians. For the Christian, those who belong to God, he makes a clear statement that judgment does come first to them. And difficulty does happen. But what he is saying here is that it does not take away their salvation and their continued maturing. You may be still wondering, what's the judgment? The judgment mentioned here is not understood as a result of judgment upon their sin, but rather the judgment here is a work. A work that brings clarity, good judgment on where they stand. Where does their faith rest? It is revealing a real active faith. The judgment will be clear as they endure. Is there a real active faith or an untrusting non-faith? This judgment comes to the people of God. And as we have been looking at, it's actually needed because of what it reveals. And what it reveals is a work of God in their lives that causes them to continue. Though difficulty comes, the belief is that Christians are saved and will be saved. That's the point here. It's not saying that Christians barely make it into heaven. (laughs) But rather, salvation is not easy and simple in this life. A commitment to Christ, a commitment to the things of God will bring difficulty. But in comparison to this life, in comparison to what you and I endure, what becomes of the ungodly those who reject God? Because judgment may come to the house of God first, revealing real active faith. But it's certainly going to come to the ungodly as well. And in comparison, brothers and sisters, how does that look? Perhaps the here and now looks really good for them. Perhaps the people receiving this letter are looking around going, should I keep following Christ here? Because everybody else looks like they're doing great. And I can remember this same attitude when I was a child. Just became a Christian. And seemingly around me, everyone seemed to be way more popular, way more cool. And as a child, I felt this. But we all know it doesn't go away easily, does it? Because perhaps even they, as they stay faithful to God, and it brings difficulty, and and yes, it's working, and it's revealing a, a, a sincere faith, it might have us to step back and say, Is it worth it? And Peter would say a hearty, yes. Because the judgment that is happening now, the work that is being done in you now, is momentary. What is going to come for those who reject Christ when that revelation of glory comes? What will become of them? This is thoughts for you and I as Christians to ponder. To not be surprised at fiery ordeals, trials, because judgment comes to the people of God first. We should expect that that comes revealing true, unwavering faith. But if you're visiting with us, this isn't only a point to ponder for those who follow Christ. Because though the judgment comes to us first, and we walk through Revealing, we walk through hard, tough times. It reveals our faith. The text is clear that judgment also comes to those who reject God. All this earthly suffering we have been talking about in 1 Peter for the Christian, let me make plain this morning. It pales in comparison to the eternal suffering for those who reject God. That is what we are meant to feel here. He said, yes, we are enduring. But that enduring is working, and it's making a judgment about our faith. It's revealing an active, true, unwavering faith. But the point Peter is making here, all of that pales in comparison to the eternal suffering for those who reject God. L- might I implore you, if you're visiting with us and don't know the Lord, you might want to grab someone afterwards and chat about what it means to endure the judgment of God. Then we arrive at the thesis statement of the entire book. You know, I wanted to put together some, you know, real crafty, wordy, good last sentence, but I'm like, it's right there. This is it. This is the point. Verse 19, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. That's it. That's it. And by the time we arrive at this point, we all should be saying, yep, that's about right. In light of all these imperatives, in light of everything we've just packed into a few moments together, our hearts should be resounding with, therefore, yep, that's exactly right. That is exactly right. Those who suffer according to God's will, what do we do? We entrust our souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This is the point of First Peter. It summarizes nicely what Peter has been unpacking when you suffer, which is according to God's will, for various reasons we've already looked at. What do we do? We trust him as what? Faithful creator, the one who knows best, the all-powerful one, the one who made today and has already determined tomorrow. That is the one we trust. Trust him so much that we commit ourselves to him. Give him the reins. To entrust is to commit yourself to his care. To trust him above all things. Trust him. Isn't that the consistent call throughout all of scripture? Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. Could that not serve as a great summary of what Peter has been doing over and over again? There is so much the Lord is doing. Do not lean on your own understanding. Look at the understanding of Jesus we looked at a few weeks ago. And now look at what suffering is doing. Trust him, brothers and sisters. He's way better at caring for you than you are. Isn't this exactly what our suffering Savior did? Remember Luke twenty three, then Jesus calling out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this he breathed his last. Brothers and sisters, those visiting with us, let those who suffer according to God's will and trust their souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. Let's pray. Father God, this morning I'm so thankful for all that we've been able to experience and enjoy together as a church family. To come underneath parents and to pray for them, to desire to walk alongside of them, to look at the the truth of your scriptures, to have it work in our hearts to encourage and also convict us. What an incredible, glorious day. But, Father, if some among us this morning who don't know you, who have rejected the truth of you, might you work, pierce their hearts as we think about the judgment that is to come. It is in no way, in no way, a good deal. And so, Father, we ask that you would stir their hearts to grab someone to chat with afterwards. But, Father, as a church family, help us to suffer well. Help us to trust you more than our own understanding and to trust you as the faithful creator. Father, is in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.